welcome to the Australian Abortion Stories podcast, a space for women and people who have experienced abortions to share their stories. I'm your host, Kelsey, and let's get into today's episode. I'd like to begin today's podcast by acknowledging that I sit here recording this for you today on the lands of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains. I pay my deepest respects to country, to the Ghana people and to elders past, present and emerging. I also extend this respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person who is tuning into this podcast today. Hello everyone and welcome to episode two of Australian Abortion Stories. I would just like to say thank you for the love since the impromptu launch of the podcast last week. (laughs) If you haven't listened to episode one uh, in it, I just gave a brief rundown of who I am, why I've created the podcast and who it's for. So go and check it out if you would like. In today's episode, I'll be sharing the first story of this podcast, my own personal abortion story. But before we begin, I feel the need to include some caveats, so bear with me. Firstly, I would just like to say that I am not a healthcare professional. I am not a counsellor. I am not an abortion expert or a historian, somebody who has studied the legislation or the history of abortion in Australia. Um, I'm not an expert, guys. Am I interested in knowing more about the current state of affairs or history Yes, I am. Um, I feel like that's part of the reason why I've created this podcast. Come along the ride with me. But am I an expert? No, not at all. I'm also not your doctor. So yeah, please don't come at me with your medical questions. Um, That being said, I don't necessarily know the best port of call for abortion access in each state or territory. Um, But if you are looking for that, I'd probably just suggest Googling abortion plus your state Department of Health. Um, You know, in my state, it's SA Health or Victoria, I think it's Department of Health. Um, You will know what your health department in your state is called, I hope. Um, So have a look on the websites. They've got a lot of information there or have a chat with your DP, your gynecologist, um, whatever healthcare professional you feel comfortable talking to. But yeah, I'm not a healthcare um, provider and so that's not the focus of this podcast and I won't be answering questions like that. Moving on. So to give you some background for today's episode, um, I'm currently reading a book by one of my old uni professors called Responsibility, Complexity and Abortion Towards a New Image of Ethical Thought. So the book is by a Canadian philosophy professor called Karen Hill. I took her bioethics class when I was studying philosophy in Canada a few years ago, and it was hands down one of the best uni classes I ever took. So shout out to Karen if you ever listen to this. Um, Thank you for being an epic professor and for writing a really good book. So... There are a few points that she raises in her book that give rise to what I want to include here before I share my story. So she talks about how the stories that we share, um, more specifically in relation to abortion, are often presented in a simplistic um, or naive way or are teleological in nature. 
Um, just dropping that word in there. I'm not really 100% sure what it means. I get the gist, but I can't explain it to you. So um, have fun looking that up yourselves. So um, yeah, sharing stories in this simplistic um, nature, it can give the perception that a person's story might be clear, absolute, well thought out, straightforward, um, and that the events or responses they describe in the story were in the person's control. And we all know that's not the case. So stories, life and people, we're a whole lot messier um, than we sometimes like to to put forward. And we're definitely unreasonable at certain times and ever morphing, ever shifting. You get the gist. So I just wanted to put it out there that my story is in no way completely clear or straightforward or going to be tied up in a little bow for you to uh, consume. It is messy and incomplete and ever morphing and yeah there's always room for additional reflection um yeah and I also find that um sometimes in telling my story not just my abortion story but in any story um I find it depends you know it depends on the context of who you're sharing it with so details that might fall by the wayside in one retelling to one person might be at the front and center um, the next time you're telling it to a different person and yeah I find that very interesting such is yeah the tradition of humans and oral storytelling it is a tale as old as time So the second point I wanted to bring up is also in relation to Karen's book. Um, It's definitely a book that is challenging me in a lot of different ways, Um, not to mention it's very heavy academic jargon, which I am slowly, slowly working my way through. But one passage in the book that struck a chord with me was about reason giving and abortion stories. So I'll read you the somewhat abridged version here. But essentially, Karen, she's talking about the women um, that have the underlying belief that abortion is a bad thing. So whether it be bad for them, for motherhood, for women, for social health, life, the unborn, whatever. um, These women that have had this underlying belief and had an abortion, it looks as though an individual woman can say I. So talk about her abortion, identify herself as somebody who's had one. Only when she also says she feels sadness, guilt, shame, regret, and trauma. If she doesn't feel these things, then she can't own those experiences publicly in these spaces. So I think the example here um, given was an abortion regret group giving a demo telling their stories. And yeah, likewise, um, she goes on to talk about where a woman believes or views abortion as a quote-unquote good thing, so good for her, women, life, for a healthy and free society, um, good for the unwanted child. A woman can also name abortion as part of her identity when she feels confident, unscathed, proud and empowered. This is possible, even desirable, in some feminist spaces. But if she doesn't feel empowered and feels conflicted, She can't own those experiences out loud in these spaces either. So I loved that passage. I mean, I don't, you know, love is a pretty strong word, but I felt like this passage 
really shone a light on why I want to share my story and why I think it's important to share my story and why I want to share other women's stories as well because I feel like for me I lay in both of those camps, you know, the people, the women that feel abortion is a bad thing, the women that feel abortion is a good thing and, you know, the the emotions associated with them. I have felt all of those emotions throughout my journey um, and I just want to give a voice to it. I want to provide a space to share the nuances, the complexities and the intricacies of the lives of the women and people who choose abortion because it really is not a black and white issue. And one last thing before we jump into my story, I just wanted to say and make very clear that my story or anybody else's abortion story or reasoning would be totally complete and whole in itself even if it was just the sentence, I had an abortion because I wanted to. Full stop, end quote, complete sentence, complete story. There you go. There you have it. Um, That's totally valid. That is a complete story and sentence. I had an abortion because I wanted to. That is a totally valid reason and a complete sentence, but it wouldn't really make for a great story or podcast. And that's not really why you're here today. You're not here to listen to me tell my story, to be like, created this whole podcast and then just come out with like a one, one second sentence. I had an abortion because I wanted to. <laughs> I could do it. I could do it. I could make a separate episode. That would be really fun. Um, but that's not why you're here. And yeah, I really respect that you've tuned in today to listen to my story. So let's just get into it. Let's go. Let's do it. Woo! So my story begins almost five years ago now, back in 2017. And I was 22, about a year into my first ever long-term relationship. I just finished uni about six months before that. And I was working my first ever full-time job and I was generally pretty happy Um, going to lots of music events, doing a whole bunch of yoga, but I was still a little bit lost with the direction of my life. Having finished uni six months ago, I was working a job and yeah, I just didn't know really what the next steps were for me like a lot of people in their early 20s in this westernized culture, I imagine. So yeah, I was about a year into this new relationship and I suppose the best way to start the story is to talk about contraception. So um, we'd been using condoms for, for the year and we were pretty keen to stop doing that and find a different solution. So I just started to listen to this podcast called the Fertility Friday podcast. It's still going today. It's um, an amazing resource. Check it out if you feel the call. It's um, run by a woman woman called Lisa Hendrickson-Jack, who I'm pretty sure she lives in Florida in the States. And anywho, so I've been hearing and learning a lot about my menstrual cycle, about hormones and the different methods of contraception for a few months. I was really getting into it. It was it was really fascinating. It still is fascinating. And so I scheduled an appointment at my local sexual health clinic to have a chat with somebody um, about my options. 
so I went and talked to a sexual health nurse who was epic and amazing. And we talked about the possibility of using a diaphragm, which is pretty old school. And the other one we talked about was the copper IUD, which, um, yeah, I thought that was probably going to be the best option for myself and my partner, given that I was 100% sure that I didn't want to be using um, a hormonal contraceptive or something that synthetically altered my hormones. Yeah, and I didn't want something that was super, super permanent, but I did want something that I could be on for, for quite a while and be happy with. Um, the only potential downside I saw to that that I was debating a little bit was the fact that it can give you heavier periods to begin with. So I said that that was great um, and I would go back and talk with my partner about it, have a think about it, but I came to the conclusion that I would probably book in uh, to get that in soon. So given that that appointment was just a counselling appointment and the IUD needs to be placed in the uterus of somebody who is not pregnant um, and I couldn't get an appointment like that day or the next week and I just wanted a bit of time to think about it. So the nurse advised me to call her up when I next got my period to arrange for a time and spoiler alert, I did not end up calling her uh, for various reasons. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so it was also around the time that I went to the clinic that I downloaded a couple of apps to begin to track my fertility signs. So they were called Clue and Kindara, and I believe they're still around today, um, although they have been modified, which is great. Um, listening to consumer feedback, fantastic. Um, yeah, so on those apps, I started recording um, whatever cervical mucus observations I was able to see with my body notes on headaches, how I was feeling and any other symptoms I saw popping up for myself and um, yeah, able to track when I had sex and what type of sex it was, whether it was protected or unprotected. So that was good. So around the time I visited the clinic, I came home and had a chat with my partner where I ran the idea of having unprotected sex um, together during my non-fertile times by him based on the predictions of these apps, really, and he agreed. Clearly, the uh, contraceptive method did not work for us because I am now telling you my abortion story. Yeah, so at some point in these next couple of weeks, I noticed a few things crop up. Um, My boobs were extra, extra sore. Um, They were usually sore about a week before my period, but I noted that this had happened earlier than usual, which I thought was interesting. I also noted that I had this um, interesting buzzing vibration around my uterus. I actually put it in the app as a womb vibration and was like, wow, how interesting. Maybe that's one of my PMS signs that I've never noticed before. How amazing are women's bodies? Um, And I do think women's bodies are amazing, but it was not a PMS symptom. It was a symptom of pregnancy. Um, Another thing that happened during those two or three weeks before I found out was um, I turned down a couple of invitations of my partner to go climbing, which was a bit odd, but I just felt um, really uncomfortable in my abdomen. It felt really tight and a bit vulnerable. And I just didn't like the idea of stretching it out like it would be um, on the rock face. So I said no. 
And yeah, during these few weeks, I was continuing to record my symptoms every day and continuing to listen to the Fertility Friday podcast almost every day. And one morning I was out walking my dog before work and I literally stopped dead in my tracks because I was listening to a podcast and it was a woman talking about her contraceptive journey. And she was talking about how she was using the fertility awareness method of contraception, commonly called FAM, that I thought I was doing. Um, And she was talking about her issues with taking the daily temperature to confirm that ovulation had occurred. And spoiler alert, I was not doing this. And I thought to myself, I stopped and I was like, fuck, because I had been using the rhythm method. Oh dear. I am personally, I personally exist in this world because of the rhythm method. And I'm sure many of you listening here today also exist because of the rhythm method. But I did not know that I was using the rhythm method. I thought that I was using this different method, but I did not know it well enough to be actually using that method of contraception at that point in time. I had a lot more learning to do before I could successfully implement that method. And um, yeah, so I went to the chemist that day after work and I stood in the aisle where all the pregnancy tests were. And I just stared at them for a while. I eventually walked out empty-handed because I think it was way too early for the tests and I was kind of like, I am surely not pregnant anyway. But a week later when my period was due, I had um, a day or two of spotting and some cramping. And so, yeah, I thought my period was coming and I was really relieved. And then the cramps and the spotting stopped. And after a few days passed, I began to feel suspicious that I might be pregnant because at this point I was almost a week late for my period. And so one day um, after work, again, I went to the chemist and this time I actually got a test. Actually, no, I tell a lie. I think I probably went to Woolworths so I could go and get a pregnancy test from the self-serve checkout so I didn't have to go through the cashier. Um, And I did it first thing when I got home. So took the test, peed on the stick, and it didn't even take five seconds for those two very, very, very dark pink lines to show up. And time just stopped. (laughs) Time completely slowed down and just stopped. And it was just me in that toilet looking at these two pink lines, just in complete shock. My heart was pounding so fast. I felt like I was going hot and cold. Um, but at the time I was living with my parents and I knew my mum was kind of due home from work anytime soon. So I allowed myself a couple of minutes of shock and then I just knew that I had to get out of the house. So she didn't see the state I was in because she would know something was up because she's my mum. Um, and so I just, I quickly, um, ran out of the house and went to a yoga class and yeah, the yoga class. It was really good. It was a yin yoga class, so it was very relaxing, helped me relax my nervous system a bit. And at the end, she invited us to drop our awareness and go into the body, um, body piece by body piece. And yeah, that was the first time that I kind of dropped my awareness into my womb. And as soon as I, I mentally reached down into my womb, I knew that there was somebody there. I felt them they were there. There was a baby there. So that's definitely a moment I will never forget. 
and it was equal parts amazing and terrifying. And so in terms of telling my partner, um, the next day we had pretty vague plans to catch up during the afternoon. We had planned to go to my friend's 21st that night and I just didn't message him. (laughs) I was um, avoiding that situation, I think. And so eventually he gave me a call and yeah, I did not feel myself on the phone. And I just said, hey, look, I'm not really feeling up to catching up this afternoon, um, but we'll, we'll meet up later on before we go to the party. So he was cool with that and um, we hung up. And it took me a couple of minutes, but I just knew that I had to go see him because my heart was pounding so fast. And I just, yeah, I knew I wouldn't be able to act normal that night. And I didn't want to ruin our night out by telling him I was pregnant at a party. Um, So I gave him a message and said, hey, I'm I'm going to come over now. So I got there and I was so nervous that I just had to (laughs) lay on the lounge room floor for a little bit just to recoup my energies and try and relax. Um, and at the time he was living with a roommate who I think was just sitting in the kitchen and not really leaving the space. So I suggested that we go sit outside and yeah, we're just sitting out there, um, in the backyard. And I told him that I needed to tell him something, which is always a bit of a line. And he kind of froze like, okay. And it took me such a long time to actually get the words out after I told him that. But I managed to squeeze out somehow I'm pregnant and that I promptly burst into tears. And yeah, I just remember that moment or that time we spent out there, just me crying and we were just talking a little bit and I just did not know what I wanted to do at all. But he held me really beautifully and yeah, he just, he told me that he'd be, He'd be down with it and it would be a crazy ride, but he was in um, whatever I wanted to do. That was the main sentiment that he he said. So that was really good to hear. Um, and I can't really remember much of the rest of the day, but we went to the party that night and obviously there's lots of drinking at parties and I had a glass in my hand, but I just felt, yeah, I, d- I didn't want to drink because I was like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. So the next two or three weeks after I found out that I was pregnant were pretty emotionally tumultuous. Um, Obviously, an unexpected pregnancy brings with it in this day and age a decision of whether or not to continue it. And for me, prior to falling pregnant, I always felt very strongly that I was pro-choice, as in pro-abortion access. But... Yeah, in this two or three weeks, I actually remember having a conversation with one of my office friends where the sentence came up um, like, you know, oh, I'm pro-choice, but I don't think I could ever do it myself. And I remember having said this to people before and she said this to me when I was actually pregnant, but she didn't know it, which I find very interesting. So, yeah, I came into the, the pregnancy with the perspective that I did think abortion was okay, but I didn't know if I would be able to make that decision or choice for myself. Yeah, but I was still working in the office. Um, I caught up with a couple of friends on the weekend and I told them and, you know, they just held space for me like um, girlfriends do. One of them had had an abortion herself, so she was able to tell me her story. 
um, she actually congratulated me <laughs> at the at the start when I told her I was pregnant, which was interesting. And I don't know if I would advise um, congratulating somebody when they tell you that they're pregnant because it may not be a happy thing. But on another level, it also made me happy because somebody thought that it was a reasonable thing that I could have a baby with my partner and that it would be a really beautiful and happy thing because I think I did have some semblance of feelings that the pregnancy was kind of like a teen pregnancy. I was 22. I wasn't a teenager, but I was still pretty young and I just didn't really grow up around people having babies so young. It wasn't really the done thing, you know, the done thing in um, my culture, our culture is, you know, you kind of go to uni, get a job have a stable relationship, maybe buy a house, buy a dog, get married and then have a baby around 30. So yeah, that was just what I'd grown up around, that whole mentality and culture. And so yeah, I felt a little bit of shame um, and secrecy, I suppose. I decided to keep um, yeah, keep the, the, the news of the pregnancy to myself. I didn't want to tell my parents who I was living with. And for me, that was a decision to really protect my energy. I really didn't want their input into what felt like um, might be the first real adult decision or thing I'd ever been through. And yeah, I still feel good about that. I feel like it was right at the time and my partner was really supportive and I was able to talk through things um, with him every day, you know. Yeah, and so started looking into termination and in SA, uh, the main termination clinic is the, the Pregnancy Advisory Centre. I'm not sure if at the time the public hospitals were doing terminations. I know that one at least does do that now, I believe. Don't quote me on this though. But yeah, at the time that was just the main place that you went to. So um, I called up and I got an appointment to see the social worker to have a chat. So my partner and I went together. I got some time off work and we went in there, had a good chat about our options and what was going on for us. And yeah, that was really good to just be heard by somebody as a couple and talk about what was going on for us. But after that appointment, I still wasn't 100%. So I went back alone to have another chat. And yeah, at the end of that conversation with the social worker, I felt really validated um, and I felt like my reasons were okay and the fact that, yeah, I I didn't want to have that baby, I felt like it was okay. For me personally, I felt like I did want to have a baby, just not then. I, you know, like I said before, talking about being in your early 20s, I really just wanted to know who I was more figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I still wanted to travel a bit. Yeah, I just wanted to know who I was and what I could give back to the world and figure out my career before I had a baby. Um, But also on the flip side, I really loved that baby. You know, in those two or three weeks, I really loved connecting with them and I just didn't want to have them then. And it took me a long time to come to terms with that. But now I'm I'm totally cool with my decision. Um, so yeah, at the end of that second appointment with the social worker, I thought it might take a few weeks to be able to get in to have um, 
a medication abortion, but there was the cancellation at the end of the week. And so she booked me in, uh, noting that there is and was, it like was and is a gestation limit for early medication abortion. And I think it's around nine weeks or 43 days post-conception. Yes, that would have put me around seven weeks by the time I had the abortion. So yeah, in terms of um, deciding what to go with, I definitely wanted to do the medication abortion. The thought of going under any form of anesthetic did not feel great for myself. Um, yeah, and the the thought of being in my own space at home with my partner going through this process um, felt okay and good to me. So I chose to do that. And yeah, when when the woman was booking it in, I did experience feelings of disappointment in some way. Um, I was glad that I had access to an appointment, of course, but I I felt the feeling arise. I really wanted more time with the baby. And I love that feeling of knowing that they were with me everywhere I went. And, you know, on my daily walks, they were with me and I'd stop and take things in a little bit more. Um, yeah. And in those two or three weeks, I definitely started to feel very nauseous and very, very, very tired. I had started taking naps after work, trying to sneak them in and make sure my parents didn't really notice. Yeah. And my partner was cool with my decision. He was on board with it, just wanting to support me. In an- so in terms of the actual abortion, um, I preemptively took some time off of work. And the night before we went into the clinic, we headed down to the beach, my partner and I, and we did a small little simple ritual to say goodbye to the baby, um, which was really powerful. And yeah, I read them a letter that I'd written and my partner said some words and we lit a candle and yeah, we kept it really simple. But um, the main sentiment was that we just weren't ready yet but that one day we hopefully would be and that they could come back then. And that ritual was so, so important in my process at the time and in the years that followed. And I'm so glad that we did that. Um, Ritual was really, really powerful. Yeah. And so the day of the abortion, um, we went to the clinic and I remember on the drive there outside the clinic, but across the road, There was a small table with a a single protester sitting, looking rather bored, um, behind a sign that said something about, you know, coming to speak to them about God or whatever have you. And they didn't say anything. They just watched the car. But, yeah, I felt myself slouched down in the car anyway. And, yeah, I believe there is um, some legislation in place in most states, if not all of them in Australia, that – yeah, that means that they have to stay a certain amount of meters away from the premises. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that there weren't people shouting at me like you see in the movies, like in Juno. But yeah, that presence still did make a, a little impact on me. So we got into the clinic, filled in some forms, sat there watching bad daytime TV with my partner for a bit before I went in to see a nurse. Um, the nurse ran me through all the different medications she was giving me that I would be taking. So it's a two-step process. Um, one medication is to stop the pregnancy. Then the next medication you take a couple days later 
causes the body to go into contractions to expel the pregnancy. Plus she gave me a bunch of pain relief and anti-nausea medication. So there was a little bit to go through there. And then next I saw the doctor who was also great. She was very straightforward and she did an ultrasound to confirm the pregnancy and check gestation, um, which was around seven or so weeks. And yeah, she had the screen faced away from me, which I think is pretty standard protocol. Um, But I asked to see the ultrasound. I really wanted to see the baby. Um, So I got to do that and I got to take a photo of it with me. Yeah, she was a really great doctor. She was very straightforward, um, but she really made sure I was 100% on the decision and not being pushed into it. Yeah, so she gave me the medication to stop the pregnancy, which I had to take in front of her. Um, I think that's part of the approval of the medication, or it was at the time anyway. So yeah, took it. And then we left. My partner and I went straight down to the coast, to the shack where we'd be staying for the weekend as, um, yeah, I didn't want to do it in my house with my parents and didn't want to do it around his roommate. So we went somewhere we'd have a bit more privacy. Went for lots of walks on the beach, did a bit of yoga. And the next day, the next day after taking that medication, so yeah, we're having a nap on the couch and I had a dream that I was bleeding. And when I woke up, I just knew that the baby was gone. I could just feel that they'd left. Um, Yeah, I felt really different. I definitely felt the absence of that presence that had been with me for the last couple of weeks. And when I went to the toilet, um, I'd begun spotting. So, yeah, the next day was the day that I was to take the medication. So the medication um, to expel the pregnancy. And so we went for a long walk on the beach. Um, I put the medication in my cheeks because that's the way that medication works um, through the mucous membranes, I believe. So, yeah, um, and we made the walk through the sand dunes back to the shack, which is probably about a 20-minute walk because, you know, Australia and sand dunes. Um, and about halfway through walking through the sand dunes, my eyesight completely disappeared. Everything was white. There was a ringing in my ears and I just did not feel good. So I had to sit down for a bit, but it was pretty hot. So, yeah, my partner essentially had to lead me blind through the rest of the sand dunes to the house. And by the time we got back there, I could see a little bit again. And in hindsight, I kind of feel like this was a reaction to the medication causing a spike in my blood pressure, I reckon. But yeah, I got back to the house and I started to kind of go hot and cold a bit, get a bit clammy. So I pretty much went straight into the bathroom and that's where I stayed for the next two hours. Um, the process itself, I definitely vomited. I cleared myself out. I started bleeding quite a bit. It was pretty painful, probably the worst pain that I'd ever experienced at that point in my life. Um, although I definitely didn't take all the pain medication she gave me, which I definitely regretted. (laughs) Yeah, it lasted somewhere between one and two hours. I was just sitting there on the toilet cramping and um, it got pretty intense to a point where I felt like I just needed the support of my partner. And so I walked very slowly out to where he was sitting on the couch and he just rubbed my back and said some soothing words. And then, 
yeah, then it was really weird. Um, but as he started to do that, it literally felt like I had been on drugs and suddenly sobered up. I felt completely normal again. And when I, yeah, when I stood up from that, I felt something come out of my uterus and enter my vagina. So when I went to the toilet to check it out, it was the baby. The baby had passed. So what came out was everything altogether. Um, the sack was fully formed and yeah, I guess there was a bit of blood or maybe a blood clot attached. I'm not really sure. I didn't take a photo, which I kind of regret, but yeah, it was about the size of my palm. It fit in the palm of my hand and yeah, honestly, it was one of the most incredible things I had ever seen. It was, yeah, and it still is. It was amazing to see that. It was Honestly, I was just staring at the miracle of life. It was it was beautiful. And yeah, so I just stared at that for a while and I didn't pull the sack open or anything. I know some women do, but yeah, I just stared at this this sack that held a tiny, tiny baby. That that gestation was probably the size of a berry. And then I knew I just had to let it go. So I flushed it down the toilet. Um, the thought had occurred to me to bury it, but in that moment I knew I just had to let it go. I really just did. So, so I let it go and let it, um, be flushed down the toilet. So that's it. Um, I spent a lot of time just resting that weekend and yeah, I bled after that for about two weeks quite heavily and my body definitely showed me signs that I was pretty run down. I had to take a couple of sick days. And yeah, it's worth noting. Um, two weeks later when I was getting back into exercise and whatnot, um, I had some extra bits and bobs come out of me. Um, a bit of retained product, I think. Um, I think it was part of the sack from what I could tell and that was pretty confronting and pretty upsetting at the time because I just felt like nobody told me that could happen you know two weeks later or yeah in such an unexpected way or that it would be really confusing and I wouldn't know what I was looking at so after that um, I went to get a blood test as it was required by the center so that I could find out if I still had HCG in my system and the nurse at the pathology place, she, I think she congratulated me, but she definitely made a comment about, oh, you know, you'll be having lots more of these blood tests, love. I guess she was assuming that I was pregnant and having a baby. So that was pretty abrasive. If you are a healthcare professional that works in pathology, um, probably don't make assumptions like that. Yeah, we can all learn, can't we? So that's the story of the actual abortion. In the weeks and months directly after that, there are a few things that cropped up in the way that care was provided from the termination clinic in terms of, I guess, privacy and, um, yeah, where they sent my letters, certain requests weren't honoured. Um, and I actually found it really empowering because I collated all the issues I had and I sent them an email. I told them what I thought and how I thought they should change it. And I received a really fantastic reply back by the head of the center telling me what they were going to do and what were they implementing and apologizing. And 
yeah, that was like my first foray into empowerment or talking to the manager type stuff. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But um, yeah, the months after the abortion, I was pretty sad. Looking back, I can recognize that there was definitely a drop in hormones because I was pregnant and then I was not pregnant. So I was actually in a postpartum period. Um, Yeah, I cried a lot to my partner who held me through it. Um, But I also felt like I had this recognition that life was really, really precious, you know, because I had held life in the palm of my hand and I had experienced pregnancy and yeah, I just really, it was like my first foray into being aware of mortality. So I did lots of things. Like I went to go and see my interstate family, spent lots of time with my family and friends and did lots of hiking, seizing the day, whatnot. So after the experience of becoming unexpectedly pregnant, I was obviously a bit hesitant to have sex again. And we definitely used condoms again for a while before I really got into educating myself on how to properly apply the fertility awareness method for contraception. So I began taking my temperature and recording my signs every day, not relying on an app to tell me when I was fertile, but yeah, learning how to read my body myself. It was very empowering. Um, The arrival of the thermometer when I was actually pregnant was not a very great moment, (laughs) But at least it came so I could use it afterwards. Um, Yeah, and the first cycle that I had post-abortion was about six weeks. So I think my ovulation was delayed by about two weeks of when it usually would have been. But overall, those weeks and months after, I was just sad and still not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, what I wanted to do with my career, what direction to go in. So About six months after the abortion, I reached a full-on breaking point and a lot of things just happened at once. I applied to go study midwifery at university because having listened to this fertility podcast and done a deep dive into it, having experienced pregnancy myself, I just felt so much passion about supporting women to know their bodies and yeah, I really wanted to be a part of that experience of pregnancy because it was so precious. I recognized that having been pregnant and yeah, I just felt like I had to apply to midwifery and give it a go. So I did um, apply and my partner and I moved in together and I quit my job and I set up for a solo trip to go trekking in Nepal all in the same weekend, (laughs) of course. Um, That's just life sometimes. And yeah, so I headed off to Nepal and it felt like a bit of a pilgrimage. I was still carrying a lot of grief and sadness about the abortion um, and I wanted to go because I wanted to make good on the promise to live my life to the full and, yeah, to really live my life in the years before starting a family with my partner. So I went to Nepal like I wanted to do and it definitely took a lot of courage predominantly because I'm pretty terrified of flying actually (laughs) and the send-off my partner and I had at the airport was uh, a bit of a sight. (laughs) I actually thought I was going to die so it was a relief when I made it to Kathmandu but I had an amazing trip trekking in the Annapurna region all the way up to Annapurna base camp and I was rereading my journals from that time just recently um, when thinking about 
you know, writing a book or starting this podcast. And I was processing a lot of stuff at the time. I was writing a lot to the baby and working my way through that grief. So we finally made it to base camp and I wrote the really beautiful um, Hawaiian Ho'opono Ho'opono prayer on some prayer flags. And for those of you who don't know, it's a really beautiful practice of forgiveness um, in the Hawaiian culture and it, it essentially is thank you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I love you. <sighs> yeah. So we got to base camp. And I asked one of the women on the trip who I'd connected with to come up and hang them with me at the base of the mountain Annapurna, Um, one of them anyway. And when I did hang them up, I said a couple of words and I just started crying. That experience with that woman was so, so special and paramount in my healing journey because as it turns out, she had had one too and she held me so wonderfully through that and, um, yeah, I'm forever grateful to her. She came from a Christian background and she told me her story as we made our way back down the valley the following day. Um, And a few things she said really helped me in the years to come. You know, sharing abortion stories is really powerful. It's really important. But the main thing I took away at the time was her telling me that I was already forgiven. And I definitely needed to hear that because my trip to Nepal really felt like a pilgrimage to forgive myself, not only for having an abortion, but for becoming unexpectedly pregnant in the first place, for being quote unquote so silly to um, have unprotected sex and think that I knew my body or yeah, for not wanting the baby at that time. I never regretted the choice, but I definitely did experience feelings of regret. And I definitely grappled a bit with the concept of forgiveness in those. So I made it back from Nepal and I found out that I was accepted into midwifery at uni, which was very exciting. And I was living with my partner and yeah, I was okay for a little while until I started midwifery. And then that's where my journey really shifts from the grief of having been in the situation in the first place. Um, the sadness that I occurred from becoming unexpectedly pregnant and going through the abortion to switching to this really strange and all-consuming grief that came from the knowledge that I just really wanted to have a baby. And it felt to me that becoming pregnant had just flipped a switch inside of me, a very, very strong primal biological switch that could never be turned off. But um, unfortunately, my partner and I's life circumstances weren't really where we'd want them to be in order to feel ready to welcome our baby at that point. You know, I was a student um, studying (laughs) and he was also pretty firm on wanting a few more years of just us, you know, exploring our relationship and each other and growing as people. Yeah, and so I felt really, really stuck in my body at this point in time. Um, you know, the body of a woman. Every month I would just feel this intense urge to have a baby creep up and become all-consuming and then slowly fade away as I move through my cycle. And even though we're using the uh, fertility awareness method of contraception and, um, yeah, tracking my cycle that way, every time my period arrived, I found myself feeling disappointed 
Oh, yeah. And I, yeah, so studying midwifery, I was obviously learning a, bo- a, bit, a lot about pregnancy and childbirth, but I also became personally obsessed with pregnancy and childbirth. Um, I listened to hours and hours and hours of birth stories, abortion stories. I was reading internet chat forums, delving into the internet that way um, about abortion, loss, stillbirth, IVF, trying to conceive, trying to find stories about um, literally anything to do with the reproductive sphere and yeah, just trying to trying to find that one story that would give a voice to the grief that I felt inside and name the depth of the loss that I felt, which was not totally from just the abortion, but I think it was more so the grief of having known what a pregnancy felt like, that felt embodied sense of, you know, I, I knew what it felt like to carry the miracle of life and not being in a position in my life to become pregnant yet. Um, you know, the grief of really, really wanting a baby and working in the birth world every day, but just not being ready to welcome that in yet. So now years on that I've done some more reflection and introspection, I think that I can somewhat start to name the grief, which to me feels like the grief of grief, 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 grief. She's saying it a lot, isn't she? She, who's she? Anyway, so yeah, to me, it feels like this grief of living in the modern capitalist, patriarchal, consumeristic um, machine. And this grief really opened me up to the dark aspects of not only myself, um, the shadow aspects of myself and my psyche, but also the culture that I had grown up in and lived in my entire life. You know, the real grief that it is um, being a woman in this modern day connected to your cycles and just feeling this sense that something is off. Yeah. So combining this with the really, really strong biological switch that had been turned on, um, I was also placed in almost every single placement in the postpartum ward where I got to see women in their, you know, um, post-birth beauty and in their really vulnerable postpartum time. I got to see and experience their joy and grief with them and um, it was amazing but it was also really tough because um, on the postnatal ward you not only see women that want and love their babies but you also see lots of situations where their baby wasn't wanted and maybe they'd they'd tried to abort themselves but it didn't work and you see teen mums that aren't supported and yeah, I saw women withdrawing from drugs and just not interested in their babies and babies being taken away um, by the department. And, oh, yeah, I saw a lot of things and it really opened up my eyes, which is part of the grief that came up by studying midwifery was this grief of, or more so a recognition that I had grown up with a really, really strong narrative of when in a person or woman's life, it was okay to have a baby. And when I was studying midwifery and I guess by being placed repeatedly in the postnatal ward, um, I found out that women had babies at all ages, surprise, surprise. And it wasn't just people who had unexpected teen pregnancy that had unexpected pregnancies. Um, You know, women of all ages had unexpected pregnancies and rolled with it. And, you know, women of all ages, 40s, whatever, all backgrounds, financial situations, occupations, as many women as there are in the world, there are as many types of mothers. So I found myself grieving that I didn't really understand that at the time. 
back when I was 22 and feeling like I had a bit of a teen pregnancy myself. So uh, I digress a little bit. Um, but it was also around this time that I was studying that our friends started to get pregnant and have babies of their own. And as you can imagine, I was pretty upset a lot of the time, um, often unable to get myself off the floor, literally. And I was just in a really, really dark place. Yeah. And in that dark place, like I said before, I was just constantly searching for a story that would touch how I felt. And so now feeling like I've come full circle, that's part of the reason why I've created this podcast, because I hope that my story and the stories of the women and people um, who come on the podcast, I hope that it can be a story for somebody that they're looking for. You know, I hope that these words can touch somebody um, in the way that they want to be touched. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, yeah. And also recognizing that um, given that the staff makeup of all those who work in maternity care, it's a largely female workforce. I know that there are so many women who would go into the field of midwifery or gynecology, go into birth work, become a doula, whatever have you, having had an experience of abortion or loss before or working in that field whilst considering or going through an abortion and processing all of those things. And if you are one of those people who is listening here today, I just want to tell you that I see you and I know that it is so tough and I just really want you to be taking care of yourself and looking for the support that you need because I think it's a specific type of toughness that comes with being in that situation. So I see you. And um, yeah, I was just a mess is the, the story, the moral of the story there. So I finally reached a point where I was just so depressed and um, unable to get off the floor that my my partner stepped in and gave me a pretty firm shove in the direction of finding some professional support, like a counsellor or whatever have you. And I resisted this quite a lot at first, but um, eventually came to agree with him that I really, really needed some support. And so I started to reach out. Yeah, so I started to reach out for support and acknowledged that I needed support, that my partner could not be the only person in my village and that it wasn't fair to him to do that to him. Uh, Yeah, so I found a really great psychologist who was able to help me, um, yeah, work through the grief really and she's fantastic. And I also found an acupuncturist who was – Um, able to help me regulate my nervous system, you know, not only from this period of intense depression, but also working or studying midwifery. Um, It's a very fast paced hospital system that I just was not coping with because of where I was in my life. Um, Yes, that was really, really helpful. And I also found a woman who specialized in womb healing. Um, I think it's the Mayan abdominal massage technique. Um, So I went to go see her as I felt like part of my issues that were arising in my womb after the abortion were emotional. And, yeah, seeing her really helped to shift things. 
What else did I do for support? I started attending women's circles, um, which felt really, really good. Ever since the abortion, I had found it really, really hard to be in my body as it just felt way too painful. And so I'd stopped my yoga practice, which had been a very strong daily practice um, almost overnight. And stepping back into uh, a ceremonial space like a women's circle was so, so needed for me. And even more so than yoga, um, these circles allowed me to be seen and heard in my grief and in my joy and allowed me to let myself be held by women, to hear their stories too from all different stages of life, you know, women who are maidens, who are mothers, menopausal. I cannot stress to you how significant this has been in my life to be held in these circles. So yeah, throughout this time um, seeking support, I was able to come back into a relationship with my body and my womb, to listen to what my womb needed, to ask my higher self often when my baby was coming um, and for her to say not right now and to accept that. And yeah, part of these circles was um, the ability to stand up and own my experience of abortion as a rite of passage. Um, as my rite of passage from maiden into something that wasn't quite mother, but was also not quite maiden. So yeah, there is a, a definite rite of passage there that's a bit awkward and unseen. <sighs> so all of this really helped as well as um, I started to come out to some of my friends about my story. Um, it, def it took me at least a year to tell anybody other than the two I'd told at the time as it's a very, very vulnerable story. But I found myself startled when I started to share my story um, because people would often have a story themselves, just like the woman um, in Nepal, you know. Uh, yeah, I find that even to this day. It's often, you know, oh, I had one too that great sentence and it made me feel so much less alone and also it was just nice to open up to people around me about what I'd been going through in the past year so yes let yourself be held by your friends so throughout my midwifery training my partner and I talked on and off again about when we wanted to actually have a baby together we went back and forth a bit um, we even thought we might actually be pregnant a year and a half later, um, after the abortion, but turns out it was a false positive. Turns out they exist. Um, so yeah, all this introspection and women's work was helping me in a lot of different ways, not, um, just only in regards to the abortion, but it definitely helped me come home to myself and becoming okay and accepting all parts of me. Uh, but one thing still remained and that is that I was still studying midwifery and it felt wrong to me in more ways than one and that's definitely a story for another time. Um, but one day I was on the way to a night shift and I took the long way around because I didn't mind if I was maybe a bit late because I didn't want to be there. Um, and I got into a car crash and that actually felt like a pretty big sign. Like the universe was saying, Hey, I'm going to stop you here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So that car crash combined with, um, the last birth that I ever attended 
where I spend all night flipping back and forth from this is amazing, women are amazing, midwifery is great, I want to be a midwife to this is horrible, this is horrendous, this is actual torture, I cannot be here. Um, yeah, the next day after that, a mentor, midwifery mentor asked me how I was going with the course because we'd have set, we'd had several conversations before about, you know, where I was honestly at and I just broke down and I am forever grateful to that midwife because I think it's really important to check in with midwifery students. It is a really, really, really tough course for so many reasons and, yeah, I'm grateful to that midwife because I feel like it gave me permission to change my life. And she just held me in conversation as I told her where I was at. And I left the hospital that day and I marched myself straight to the dean's office and quit then and there. And I felt so good for the first time in literally a year and a half. It felt right. It felt good. It was really an act of courage to quit something that felt so wrong for my soul but so many people around me have been telling me to continue, you know, I had this dream of wanting to be a private midwife and to be able to support women in the, in the ways that I wanted to. But, you know, people would just tell me to persist because if I got through the degree, I could then go on to do that. But I guess um, the point I'm trying to make here is that they didn't have the other part of the story, which is that, you know, not only did I not feel in my integrity, but I was also processing or almost re-traumatizing myself by being in the hospital system surrounded by birth, pregnancy and um, people becoming mums when I desperately wanted that for myself. So I quit midwifery and I'm very proud of myself. Um but yeah, after that, I, I went back to a full-time job that would allow me to have maternity leave, which was fantastic. My partner proposed to me. We were super happy. And then we decided that it was time to have a baby. And so we did. And that baby is now one. And she's so beautiful and so wonderful. And a large part of... Um, coming to one year postpartum, one year of being a mum has been about appreciating what I have now and sending love back in time from, you know, my, my present self, watching my baby play and discover the world and sending those images back to, you know, that woman in my past who was considering an abortion, who really wanted the baby, but just not yet. Sending love back to that past self that was really grieving the loss um, that largely goes unrecognized that she wasn't talking about. Back to myself that was struggling through every day of midwifery, you know, the past self that was yearning for a baby every single day. Um, yeah, this year has been really healing in that regard. And my partner and I have been talking a bit about abortion in the last month or two um, because of one of what I've wanted to start with this podcast. And yeah, we both really agree and appreciate that we were able to have this baby now on our own terms when we were ready. And, you know, the years in between our the abortion and um, the birth of this baby, we were able to grow so much as a couple together. And who knows what would have happened if we did have that baby back then. Um, but I don't think it does any use to speculate about that really, so I won't but I'm glad we were able to have her when we did. 
And yeah, part of me feels so healed and complete with this story because I feel like that baby is this baby. Um, I talk to that spirit baby all the time in the years between that pregnancy and conceiving this baby. And she felt so strong, especially from when I began studying midwifery, which I think is part of the reason why I really struggled. You know, this spirit baby felt really, really insistent. Yeah, and when we were finally ready to call that spirit baby back, um, we did another small ritual on the beach to say that we were ready for her to come on down now. And funnily enough, but not funny at all, she actually ended up having the same due date as that first baby, the same 40-week date. So, yeah, it's her. That's just how I feel. And, yeah, I feel like the story is complete. Um, But I acknowledge that, you know, if you didn't have that perspective or if you did feel like that baby was a different baby, then maybe I would have different feelings about the abortion. Um, But this is just my story. So there you have it, friends. Uh, That was my abortion story. And if you've made it this far into this episode, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to me. And I thought I would end this episode um, just going over a couple of points I really wanted to hammer home. Um, The first one is that, yeah, women and people of all backgrounds, situations and circumstances have abortions every single day. And likewise, women of all backgrounds, situations and financial circumstances have babies every day. And the choice, thankfully, in Australia is yours to decide. And speaking of abortion, you know, there are so many different reasons why women and families choose abortion and they are all valid. And that's that. (laughs) No, but um, truly, everybody experiences abortion differently um, from the wildly positive and empowering experience to the traumatic experiences. Um, But most likely, I would say most women and people's experiences would lie somewhere between the two in the realm of um, grey. And yeah, you can experience a lot of different feelings as a result of being in this certain situation in your life. And yeah, you can experience feelings of regret and still not regret your decision or choice. And that was definitely a main takeaway for me. And yeah, secondly, um, women and people considering or going through abortion are definitely in need of support, just like those who are um, in their first trimester and wanting the baby or going through a, a pregnancy loss or just postpartum after a baby. These people are in need of support. Let me just reiterate that again. Um Yeah, unexpected pregnancy is a time-sensitive thing. So if you have a friend that has reached out to you and has said, hey, I'm unexpectedly pregnant, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do, I'm trying to make a decision and you feel like you just want to give them space, um, I would say check in with yourself and be curious. Why do you want to give them space? Does it make you feel uncomfortable? And I just want to remind you that Um, yeah, it is, abortion is a time sensitive thing, especially if they want to go through with an early medication abortion, because there is 
a nine weeks or so gestation limit. Um, so don't give them a couple of weeks to, to process stuff by themselves. Just send them a text every couple of days or give them a call once a week, check in with them, see if you can bring them a meal or if they need to talk. Um, yeah, it is a time sensitive thing. So yeah. Also on that, on that note, um, abortion is definitely a birth of sorts. And so Um, If you've recently gone through it, just treat yourself with kindness afterwards and seek support if you can. Take days off work if you can. Remember, go easy while you're still bleeding. Rest a lot. Drink lots of water, cups of tea, keep warm. Um, Yeah, and I would really encourage you to seek the support of women and loved ones that you trust to support you during this time, if that feels good for you. And to just remind yourself that you are in a postpartum period and to honor that however feels good to you. And lastly, (laughs) I should title the podcast this is the rhythm method is not an effective contraceptive method. So if you want to learn a natural fertility method, then please don't look up what the rhythm method is and employ that. It is not effective. Um, If you do want to learn a a proper natural fertility method, then I would recommend getting a hold of the book um, Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler. Um, Also having a look at Lisa's podcast, Fertility Friday. Um, You can hire people to coach you through the process of learning this. um, There are quite a lot of rules involved. And yeah, I would say, you know, tracking your period um, via an app is is great in in some ways, but I would be very cautious and warn people against taking the app's prediction of your fertility as truth because you are a human being and you are not a machine and your body changes from month to month and so um, these apps often don't take that into account. And yeah, the fertility awareness method does. It teaches you how to properly read your body and read the signs. And hmm, yes, do recommend. So there you have it. That's um, the episode for today. My very long and somewhat disjointed abortion story. I trust that whatever I've included and whatever I've left out is for a good reason And I trust that this story will find the women and people that it needs to. Um, Again, if this story has brought up feelings or thoughts for you that are confronting, then I encourage you to treat yourself with love and kindness. Even if it hasn't, please treat yourself with love and kindness, especially during the Christmas period. It's a bit crazy. Um, But if it has brought up things, then yeah, go do whatever you need to do to work through that. Um, Give yourself some time if you can work it in. And yeah, if you think that my story would help somebody else going through a similar experience, then please do share with those people. I know that perhaps people might not share this um, podcast as much on Instagram because it is a taboo topic, but if you feel brave enough and happy enough to do that, then I encourage you to do so. And You can also help this podcast um, find the people it needs to by giving it a review on iTunes or Spotify. I'll hopefully have it up on the other um, podcast apps sometime in the next couple of weeks when I get my head around RSS and the tech side of stuff. 
And that's it for today, beautiful people. So I'll be with you hopefully next week um, to share another abortion story. And until then, go well.